And what does that look like when we turn our eyes to Jesus? The Bible talks about fixing our eyes on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. One of the most immediate ways in which we do that, one of the most effective ways in which we do that is by turning to God's Word, which always, always points us to Jesus. So it's great to be back speaking to you from God's Word today, and I encourage you to turn with me to the passage that we were reading together just a few moments ago in Acts chapter 16. We're looking together at the middle part of this book of Acts, which has been described by an American pastor, Kevin DeYoung, as the continuing work of Jesus. This is the story of Jesus still at work in his church. And if you have any understanding of the timeline of the Bible, that title might confuse you a bit because you might think, hang on, Jesus came to the earth and then he returned to heaven and this is happening after he returned to heaven. This is the church of the first believers telling others about him as he sits at his father's side reigning with him. And that is true. But remember that Jesus promised one who would come to his followers, the Holy Spirit. And it is through the Spirit of God that Jesus continues to be at work in his church back then. And really crucially today as well, that gives us confidence. That gives us hope. That gives us expectation that God will be at work in the life of his church here in Connor. And what we're going to do over the next couple of Sundays is look together at the remainder of chapter 16, and we get to see their brilliant examples of God changing lives. It's a reminder to us that God is in the business of changing people. And that's such an encouraging and important message for us to hear. It's important for us to hear because some people here today have experienced this change in your own life. You know that God has been at work in your life, and maybe you're trying to figure out, what is that all about? What is it that has actually happened to me? And it's important as well because there will be other people here today, and you have a sense deep down an indescribable sense that you need to change in your life. You lack a sense of security about the future, not least what it is that lies beyond death. You have this sense that all is not right with your life. And you know in your heart that there is more to life. And so in some way you want to connect with God. And it's important for us to hear about God changing lives because there are also people here today and you desperately, desperately want to see a loved one recognizing their spiritual need and being changed by God. You think today about a husband or a wife, about a son or a daughter, a brother or a sister. You think about a mother, a father, a friend, who you would love to see coming and putting their trust in Jesus and finding forgiveness and salvation in Him. And yet, as you look at that person, as you think about that person today, 
that seems so unlikely because as you look at their life, it just appears that their heart is so far from God. So is it possible for them to change? Or are they, as you might begin to suspect, a lost cause? Well, today, let's begin to look at three people that we meet here in Acts 16 who have their lives changed by the Lord. The first two are women who come from very different backgrounds. They are from polar opposites in society, but both of them are in great need of God's help. And as we meet with the first of these women today, and as we get to see how Paul and his friends ministered to her and then were ministered to by her in turn, it's worth taking some time remembering how Paul and his friends came to be in this city of Philippi and in this region of Macedonia in the first place. Before I went on holiday back at the beginning of July, and it feels like this has been a long month, it's one of those months with five Sundays, but right back at the beginning of this month, I looked at how Paul came to be in Macedonia, and we thought about that crucial question, a question that occupies the minds of so many people. How does God guide us in our life? And aware that some people we're already away on holiday, and that it's been quite a few weeks since we have looked at this together. Let me take a bit of time to recap on what it is that we discover in verses 6 and 10, if you just look at those verses for a few moments. Last time we discovered that those verses marked a change in this book. It's the point where Luke begins to talk about we instead of they. So, Luke actually became part of the story and we get this amazing first-hand account of what it was like to be engaged in mission in the early church. But the other big, big turning point in the story at this point is that we get to see the gospel moving into Europe. And of course, that has great significance for us here today, located right on the western edge of the continent of Europe, that God brought the gospel to a new place. And for Paul and the other missionaries, that move to another part of the world further confirmed what they had come to know, that the gospel was not just for one nation and for one particular race. It was for all people, that people from all kinds of backgrounds would come and find life in the Lord Jesus Christ. But how did Paul come to be there in that different part of the world? And what we discovered last time in verses 6 to 10 is that when God is guiding us, He opens and closes doors in the course of our life. We see that in these verses. If you look back at verses 6 and 7, because Paul uses some kind of strange phrases here. He says, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the Word in the province of Asia. And then he talks in verse 7, about how the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to go to a particular place. And what is most likely is that the Lord was using everyday circumstances to bring about His purposes and to guide these people to where He wanted them to be. Because if it had have been more dramatic, 
there's no doubt that Luke would have told us what exactly had happened. And we need to remember that God often guides us in unspectacular ways as our life unfolds. We want the big excitement. We want the booming voice and the, the, the thunder and the lightning, but that's not how God operates. And sometimes what we need to do is in faith to push at doors to see if they open for us and if opportunities unfold for us as God guides us in the course of our life. But last time we also discovered that God guides us to where there is need. There was a reason why Paul and his friends were kept from these particular places in verses 6 and 7. And we discover why in verse 9. And it's that vision that Paul has of a man in Macedonia asking him to come and help. And we're told in verse 10 that after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Paul was absolutely certain that this was God speaking to him. How could he have that certainty? Well, because what was being asked of him was absolutely consistent with what God called him to do all the way through his life, to bring the message of Jesus to others who needed to hear it. So that when you're looking to the future, when you're trying to maybe work out, and for some young people here today, this will be of real relevance. As you're trying to work out, where does God want me to be next? You should be seeking to serve Him and to serve others. But ultimately, what we discovered as we looked at all of Paul's life is that God guides through His Word and prayer. For the, the first believers like Paul, revelations and visions and dreams like the one that he had were necessary because God's revelation to His church was not complete. When Paul talks about the Scriptures, he's talking about what we describe as the Old Testament, because the New Testament was a work in progress. In fact, here Paul and his friends were in the process of making the New Testament story. Now, think about our circumstances today as a church, how privileged we are, because we have received the Scriptures of the Old and New Testament. Before us today, is God's complete revelation. There is nothing more left to say. There is nothing more that we need to hear from God. This is all that we need. So that Paul was able to say to Timothy as he, as he thought about the Scriptures and their place, all Scripture is God-breathed. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And the Word of God is absolutely central to knowing what God's will is for your life. And so, having been brought to Macedonia, specifically to Philippi, what then happens? Well, let's look at these verses quickly. The first person that Paul gets to share the gospel with in Philippi is someone who on the face of it doesn't seem to be 
in particular need. If you look at verse 14, we're told two important things about this lady Lydia. The first is that she was a dealer in purple cloth. Or some of you, as you look at your versions of the Bible, it will simply describe her as a seller of purple. She came from a city called Thyatira that had a really big textile trade, and she was right in the middle of all of that. And this wasn't any old cloth that she was selling. Purple cloth was special. Just like today, purple was a royal color. It was a a noble color. And this was valuable stuff. And we can reckon that Lydia was a wealthy woman. After all, we hear about her household. And this would have been a household that would have certainly contained and included servants and people looking after her. Lydia, we're also told in verse 14, was a worshiper of God. You see, it wasn't a random thing that Paul and his friends were just out taking a bit of a dander, and they happened to chance upon Lydia at the riverside. What we're told and what we learn in Scripture is that when there was no synagogue in a city, as was the case in Philippi, then God-fearing people, people who wanted to worship the one true God of Israel, would gather outside the city on the, the Sabbath in order to pray and worship Him. That's what was going on here. So, Lydia would have been like Cornelius, who we met back in chapter 10. She wasn't a Jew. She was a Gentile, but she had a fear of God. She had a desire to worship the God of Israel. And so, understanding that, what could this woman possibly need? After all, she was rich. She was a worshiper. If you want to describe it in this way today, she was a churchgoer. Well, she needed Jesus. She needed the forgiveness of sin, the rescue from sin that is found in Christ alone. And I think this is such a great reminder for us because there are some people here in church today And maybe what you're thinking deep down is, why would I possibly need Jesus? Why? Because I'm here at church. My life is going fairly well. I've got lots of stuff. And God has definitely been good to me. And it's also important to be reminded of this because remember, and I was saying this to the children, and I'll say it to you as well, all of us, Every single one of us here today who love and follow Jesus are given the job of making Jesus known to others. It's just part of who we are. It's not just the the job of the, the spiritual SAS, the elite members of a church. It is the job of every single believer in Christ. And it's really hard to do. And as you bring the gospel to other people, as you bring the gospel to family and to to friends and neighbors and colleagues, you probably do that as I do with the expectation, they're not going to like this. And they're really not going to listen to this. And they're not going to respond to this. You think about our society 
And you think about many of the people that we meet around us here in Connor, and most of them are in a really good place in their life. And they'll simply think, well, I have no problems. I'm well off. I've managed to stay out of trouble most of my life. Why would I possibly need what you're offering to me now? So, how heartening then to see how God changes this woman and brings her to Jesus. And for us today, the key verse and the absolutely important thing to understand about what happened to Lydia that day is found in verse 14. This is the bottom line. Luke tells us the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. This was God's Holy Spirit at work in her life. And some of you understand this. You really get this because you're thinking, that's happened to me. Maybe in recent weeks or months, this has happened to me. God has opened my heart to the gospel, to my, to my need of Jesus, and what it is that God has done for me and Him. It was the Lord that brought about a change of heart that brought about this desire to know Christ. And I believe that understanding this, that just looking at this verse together and really meditating on and reflecting on this verse should give us great hope. It should give us hope as we think about those loved ones who seem to be so resistant to the gospel. And it should also give us humility and gospel work as individuals and as a church. Because the truth is, some of us who engage in this gospel work can get really big ideas about ourselves, especially those of us who are called to proclaim the gospel in this way. And so, this is a great reminder, verse 14, that it's not all about us. It's about Him and what He does. Understanding the truth of verse 14 should give us hope. It should give us humility. And I couldn't find another H, so it should give us confidence. Because we know how people in our day and our society will respond to the gospel, but God opens people's hearts to it. And it is such a great encouragement to be faithful in making Jesus known, not giving up, not saying it's a lost cause. That person there's no way that they'll ever change. God opens hearts to the truth about Jesus. And as we come towards the end, look at what this change of heart resulted in. Look at the impact that it had on Lydia's life. First of all, it, it led to her listening to the message in the first place, as we see in verse 14. And it could be that for some of you here today, you find yourself more tuned into sermons than you used to be. That you used to be a kind of pipe counter or whatever it is that people do in churches to pass the time, whether it's counting the pipes and the organ or kind of trying to remember all the people who scored for your team last season. Whatever your kind of mechanism might be, maybe you're moving beyond that. And even in recent weeks and recent months, you find yourself tuned into sermons in a way that you never expected. And I want you to know that that is an indication that the Lord 
is opening your heart to the message. Don't resist that. And today, if you're someone who is actually seeking assurance that you're a true believer, that you truly belong to God and Christ, you need to know that a desire to read and to hear God's Word is a good indicator as to where you stand with the Lord. So, is that your desire today? The Holy Spirit opening Lydia's heart to this message meant that she listened to God's Word, but then the next impact was that she was baptized. Verse 15, she and the members of her household were baptized. And let's remember that baptism is never, ever a means of salvation. It's not the the way in which we get right with God, whether it be an adult or a child being baptized, but rather it is an indication of repentance, of a turning away from sin, and of faith trusting in Jesus. It's an indication of the change of heart that has been brought about by the Lord. And it's really interesting that in this passage, not only was Lydia baptized, but all her household as well. You know, this verse kind of pickles the the minds of some of our, our Baptist brothers and sisters. And, you know, I know we've got Baptist people here today as well, and I'm not having a dig. I was actually going to text a couple of Baptist friends and say, what do you make of this verse? What what do you make of it? But I didn't do that. But we simply do not know the composition and the age profile of the household of those who were baptized. But what is absolutely clear was that God was at work in this whole household. Let's recognize that. And in fact, that should not surprise us because we know of God's covenant faithfulness in bringing about household salvation in many of our homes. And we should therefore trust and pray whatever stage of life we're at, whatever stage of life our children are at, we should trust and pray that this will be the case in our household as well. We have a faithful covenant God. And the final impact that her heart being open to God has is that it then leads to her being warm-hearted towards others. We see that so clearly in verse 15, that when Lydia and her household were baptized, we're told she invited us to her home. She said, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house and she persuaded us. You see, when the Lord opens our hearts to the gospel, He also warms our hearts to other people. But why is it then that Christians are so often regarded as being cold and inhospitable? Because at times we are. We should be the exact opposite, opening our homes and opening our lives to others in a sacrificial way. And what a great opportunity to serve the Lord. You know, sometimes you can actually doubt that you're serving the Lord in things that you do, because there are things that you really enjoy, and it doesn't actually feel like service at all. Hospitality is one of those things for some people, because you're really good at it, 
and you enjoy it. And I want you to know from God's Word that such hospitality can be a great way of serving the Lord and engaging in gospel work. I enjoyed such hospitality over the course of the weekend, sitting around a table with other believers, talking about the gospel in someone's home. And that's great. That's what church should be like. And so today we have met the first of those in Acts chapter 16 who have their lives changed by the Lord. And people, this is what the gospel does. So this chapter should encourage us to be gospel people, to be a gospel church who share the good news of Jesus with boldness and with joy. And when you think about it, ultimately, this should be a chapter that encourages us to pray as a church. Because if it is the Lord who opens hearts, and it is, then we need to urgently seek His help and ask Him to be at work in us and through us. And may that be the case for God's glory and for the good of our church and our community in the coming days. Amen.